Mr. Vincent Plana. Thank you very much for being here. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. And uh, so we we started the podcast. We got about five minutes in and uh, my dumbass forgot to hit record. So this is actually round three because you and I recorded a whole podcast back in June. And um, we had to, I get, uh, to, to, I changed the way the show is with uh, due to COVID. So I figured, well, we might as well re-record this and whatnot. So round three, let's do this. <laughs> all fun and games and uh, just a friendly little chat. Oh yeah. Hell yeah, man. Well, thank you for being here. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll uh, we kind of prepped a few things ahead of time. So we'll kind of, I'm sure we'll talk about quite a few uh, very different topics today, but I'm very excited. So now we're recording, everything's working. So let's do this. <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about yourself, man. So where are you from? So I'm from North Vancouver, uh, born and raised. I went to elementary school, high school around the area. I basically, yeah, I was pretty bubbled up in the North Shore for the first 16, 17 years of my life. Um, I ended up going to Montreal for a few years to study at McGill. And then I ended up coming back before, and then I started working. I got poached. I mm -hmm. didn't finish school. I haven't had a chance to yet, although I think a lot about going back. And now I'm just working, playing hockey, and uh, doing a few different things. Typical Canadian boy, huh? <laughs> I love it. So what were you doing at McGill when you got into there? What were you doing there? So when I graduated high school, I was super, super set on studying whatever it would take me to get into a law school and I, I wanted to go to McGill for law school as well um I had even like looked into like I had like skipped years ahead and <laughs> like okay this is what I need to do to get into law school oh you don't need to take the LSAT to get into McGill which was the case when at the time I, that I was looking I don't know if it's still the same but um I arrived I was signing up for courses and I was like oh maybe poli is a good place to start I looked at the courses and the descriptions and I'm like this looks horrendously boring and just not for me uh so I ended up trying out philosophy did that as my major for one year with an English minor on the side and by the time I came towards the end of my second semester I basically started to like English a lot more so much to the point where while well, I figured well I'm very passionate at it and it kind of clicked that I was actually good at writing. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, all right, well, let's pivot to this. We can keep philosophy on the side and we'll just see where this goes. Um, I took another full year of English and then I ended up going back to Vancouver and yeah, I switched my major again, but I, like I said, I got poached and started working before I graduated. So that would have been, so sorry, two years? Yeah, so two years and a bit in Montreal. Um, and then I think literally just one semester, I spent, I studied one semester at CAP and then I just stopped. And then that was it. Yeah. Right, yeah. right into, uh, working. So, uh, well, where do you work? Uh, so I work at Daily Hive. I'm a news writer, a journalist, uh, staff writer, uh, whatever you'd like to call it. There's <laughs> a few different ways you can call it, to be honest. And when it comes to the, the writing, um, in high school, did you kind of see, did it kind of feel like you, you had a uh, talent for it or did that develop later on when you, when you got to McGill? Um, it, 
did and it didn't. So I would say there were like a few um, flashes or glimpses of like, oh, this is something that I'm naturally a bit stronger at. Uh, but it never really kicked in. One of the first times it kicked in was, so, uh, I, I, I'm not going to say who, because it's not the best story, but one of my friends, um, yeah, sure. <laughs> they, um, like back in high school, they would give you early acceptance and you had to maintain a specific grade. And if you didn't, you would lose your acceptance. Right. So without giving too many details away, one of my friends lost their acceptance and he asked me to write the appeal letter. And then by the time I was done writing it, we were both like, this is really good. I would be shocked <laughs> if they didn't let you back in. And they, they didn't let him back in, but I was, I was like, okay, okay, this isn't too bad. Um, and then the other was that I was taking like a provincial exam or something uh, for English. And I remember like, I fell asleep during the, the actual exam. <laughs> I had a teacher wake me up because she was concerned, but I was totally relaxed and I still scored pretty high on it. So those were two like small clues where I'm like, oh, maybe I'm good at writing. So, yeah. Hey, Tom Brady takes naps uh, during the halftime at the Super Bowl, apparently. So yeah, cool I, I as a cucumber. Idea, so. <laughs> cool as a cucumber, buddy. <laughs> Just times, but yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And so, yeah. So how many years has it been since you've been working for Daily Hive now? A few? Um, it's definitely been a few. So it's actually going to be three years in February. Okay. So. And so I know like, uh, even today we were supposed to, um, record this earlier and then there was a, uh, I guess there was like a COVID press conference or whatever. Yep. So we yep. had to push that back, but, um, just kind of tell us a little bit about the, just basically what you do and, and how that all how that works being a, now, is it fair to call you a journalist? Like, is that too, does that kind of encompass what you do or not so much? So that's the hard part is that <laughs> yeah. if you want it, like, I like to think I'm a journalist um, because I'm doing what every other journalist out there is doing. The problem being that I don't have a journalism degree, um, right. whereas a lot of my coworkers and competitors and colleagues and, you know, just regular people working in the field a lot of them do have that so if you really want to be picky I don't know you know if it would bug them if I called myself one and yet I didn't have the degree but um a journalist or staff writer is the easiest way to say it and that's usually what I'll tell people or people I reach out to it just keeps it easy that's fair I like it either way is good either way is good and so how does that all work then so as far as um because I've I've read uh, probably about five or six of your articles. Well, actually, how this all started was I came across a Daily Hive post on Facebook and it was some local, like, I, I can't remember. This was like, this is like, well, I think this was around March. Um, some Vancouver related post or, or article and clicked on it, read the whole thing and really liked it. And then I actually thought who, like, I actually wanted to see who wrote it. And I'm like, Vincent Plana. I'm like, what the <laughs> hell? I yeah. didn't even know at that point, I didn't even know you were a writer. I actually didn't even know what you did for a living. I'm just like, oh, it's Vincent, you know, <laughs> I had no idea. So it was pretty funny. And I'm like, man, and you're, the article was really good. Um, I think it was actually something shoe related. Did we talk about this? Did we talk about what it actually was? We did the last time, but, but I, I can't I quite remember. Yeah. 
but whatever it was, it was really good. I really Thank liked you. it. I appreciate and, it. And that's how that kind of started. But um, so just kind of tell us how that all works as far as um, what do you write? How, how does that kind of chain of command work? Yeah. So as far as what I write, um, I think my topics are pretty open-ended. I'll cover anything from day-to-day -day news, uh, crime, events happening in the city, whether that's, you know, just like the annual P&E or pop-ups or that kind of thing. And then, of course, I covered development at the federal, provincial, and municipal level. So I guess I would encompass all of those things into more of your hard news, if you want to call it that. Um, I do a little bit of retail and business news here and there whenever a new business opens in Vancouver or whenever a big local business does something, but I'll also help chip in with food and sports when the two respective writers are a little busy, need a hand, or if they're away on vacation, so. Yeah, I like that. And how does that, so basically, so you get your, I guess your your boss gives you like, hey, we need a article on whatever topic and then do you get the green light to, if I guess if it's you who's, who's going to write it, do you mm -hmm. just kind of get the green light, you write your thing? What are timelines like? What, what is that all? How do, yeah, what's the process? So, man, okay. So it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, basically, I work with my team of writers, of course. We have staff writers, senior staff writers, editors, um, a managing editor, and an editor-in-chief. And so... For the most part, I'm working with my editor and my the other staff writers on the team. And we basically get our stories in. We have a group chat where we just talk about, okay, what do we think about this? Is this relevant? And then we look to divide it like who's, first of all, who's free? Because usually we, we start at different times. And then we make sure that, all right, well, can this person, or is this person well-equipped to cover it? Is it their area of expertise? How many stories have they done? Are they working on anything long form? So there are a lot of different factors as far as who takes a story. Now, as far as the timeline and the turnaround, that really varies. So let's say with this afternoon, um, I basically came from an update on BC's COVID-19 scenario. And <clears throat> so something like that, where it's, they're announcing how many cases there were over the past few days. And they also announced some new health orders. So new restrictions and rules, something like that. We have to turn around really quickly. Um, I think that it might've been under five minutes for my colleague to turn around the case numbers. Um, I wrote a little bit about the orders and I think I had to turn that around within 10 minutes and that wasn't <laughs> fast either. I probably, like I definitely could have been faster. Um, but we also have a lot of time to work on, well, yeah, we also have a lot of time to work on longer form stories. So I've had pieces of work that I work on for one to two weeks. Yeah. Well, especially with this, <clears throat> how much of the COVID stuff are, have you been uh, writing on since March? Like most of it, or is this kind of a new thing? I would say like, it's, it's still split. My team and I try to like split it up as equally as we can, but there's a, there's a few COVID stories a day. 
So yeah, yeah, and I know, I know, I hate fucking talking about this COVID shit and all that, but you know, it's interesting, especially stuff like that where you know you have a press conference you know, I guess this afternoon and then, you know, the article has to come out like within the hour kind of thing. Like it's gotta be published or whatever. Yeah. Like honestly, to be honest, like as soon as, cause the press conferences are live too. So whenever mm-hmm. it's a live update, everybody else can watch it. It's streamed on YouTube and reporters can dial in. But as soon as the, whoever says those words or gives the announcement, like you start writing. So it's a pretty like snap and you're going at it. Mm-hmm. And as far as, uh, it, so do you do any uh, freelance writing or do you work primarily for uh, Daily Hive? I do. I mean, I work primarily for Daily Hive, but I do freelance writing for a few different sneaker publications because that's one of my side passions. So now, okay, so you've been a writer for uh, three years now? Yeah, I've been a writer at form like. As far as my time at Daily Hive goes, I've been a writer for three years. Um, Before then, I was, I think I was doing a little bit of freelance and I interned at a few different places. So I think if you were to add up all the time together, it's around four to five years. And is it unusual for, because you you pointed out earlier that most of your colleagues and and people in the business have that journalism degree. So for you, are you in the minority or is that relatively common? So I don't remember the answer I gave you when we last spoke. (laughs) I think the more and more that I kind of look into different fields of writing and different publications, it's a harder answer for me to, or it's a, sorry, it's a harder question for me to answer. Now, generally, I would say that I do think I'm in the minority and at least in the field of strict digital publications that are covering you know your kind of day-to-day news everything going on in the city across Canada I would say most of those people have journalism degrees now when I look at publications like let's say do you know do you know complex uh yeah I've, I've seen some of their stuff yeah so complex or and maybe even your like maybe even your GQ Okay. I'm not too sure how many of those writers come from a strict journalism background. So it's a hard question for me to answer. And I've been really looking into just, you know, different kinds of writers. I look at obviously other people's work and where they come from and what their background looks like. So it does seem like everybody kind of has a different story. Mm-hmm. And as far as, um, I don't know if I asked you this the last time, but as far as, so you're a, obviously the news would be, categorized as nonfiction, hopefully. (laughs) Right. I hope so. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Um, but did, were you ever into writing, uh, fiction at all? Yeah. So, so, um, the reason that like the thing that really like clicked and got me into writing was, um, man, this is a brutal story too. This is like, That was my favorite kind, buddy. It's a dumb story, but um, (laughs) you ever see uh, The Great Gatsby? Mm. The one with um, Leonardo DiCaprio in it. Okay, so in it, um, one of the main characters is played by Tobey Maguire, and a lot of the film has him simply reading out his writing, or the writing of Scott Fitzgerald, in the film so when I heard that it was 
just very attractive to me. I liked just literally the way that the words sounded as he read them out on screen or as they played in the movie, right? And I finished the movie thinking, wow, I want to be able to write like that. So when I really started to get into writing and doing it, not even just for work, but just like as a creative outlet, I was just writing down these little like orbs of fiction. Kind of similar to, it, it was, yeah, it was kind of similar to like if you were watching The Great Gatsby, when you hear Tobey Maguire just kind of talking about the scene and like what's happening in the landscape, it would sound similar to that. Sorry, if you see me looking down, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to write notes, but- All uh, good, yeah. it is all good. So that would so that would have been not that long ago, really, because I mean that movie's relatively new. I mean, I guess that's like what a five-year-old movie at this point. I think it might be a tiny bit older. I think it's a 2013, maybe. Oh, okay, but yeah. it's still pretty new. Really. It's within ten years. Right, and and that's kind of what got the the cogs turning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I like that. That was it. It's funny. That's one of those movies that um, I, I actually never read the book. On that, I was—I think I was supposed to in uh, English Eleven Lit, yeah. and just you know, never got around to it. You know, <laughs> I actually read it from—I read it in um, my English Twelve class, and for whatever reason, like I—I I appreciated it, but right. it took having to hear it out loud and hear it being read out for it to have like that kind of effect on me. Because I read it and it was like, oh, this is a cool book. This is great, but you know. Yeah, I had to go for the movie and hear Tobey Maguire reading it out to me. Well, and it's funny too because like even the the stuff that he's narrating, they're actual direct passages from the book, right? Like I don't think they yeah. adapted it; like it's just yeah. verbatim, right? It is. It's the exact exact writing from the book. Yeah. Well, it's just funny just how like certain. Well, and it's also funny too, like just what resonates you at a particular time. You know, that's also the other thing because the fact that. You know, maybe if you would have even uh, saw, like if the movie was released earlier, like let's say when you were reading the book, rather than reading the book, let's say you actually went and saw the movie at that time. Yeah. It's interesting to, to wonder like, hmm, maybe it wouldn't have actually had the same impact that it did, you know, a couple of years later when you did end up seeing the movie. So it's kind of funny to- Yeah, or if it started things early, I could have like saved a year of school and just gone straight into English, but- Yeah, exactly. No, I know it's, it's interesting. And um, well, I kind of want to, I want to pivot off of this and then I think we'll, we'll end up, we'll end up back at, at this point. But um, one of the things that I was excited to talk to you about is that we have a, well, we have quite a few common interests. And um, when it comes to the uh, material that we read, we seem to have quite a bit of commonality there. And um Actually, uh, I got an update for you. So my hardcover copy of uh, Relentless by Tim Grover arrived yesterday. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so it wasn't supposed to arrive for another month, but I guess, yeah, yeah. Amazon coming through. <laughs> I actually, I actually, um, I just ordered some books. Oh, okay. Well, what'd you get? Let's start there. What'd you end up getting? I ordered, so actually, this is a complaint I have. Is oh, yes. That, let's talk about this. Yes, sir. I would really love if there were more resources for books and learning materials for athletes or people who want to be competitive athletes. I mean, I, obviously like we're playing beer league hockey. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to the show anytime soon. I'm not <laughs> playing pro, but 
But at the same time, I still want to be competitive. Mm. And because I never really had the chance to play competitive hockey as a kid, like it still really fascinates me. So I'm trying to always look for different kinds of books to learn and kind of get an edge on anything. And that's why a lot of what we've been talking about too. Um, but when I Google it, I frankly, I just can't find that many, you know, websites or articles or recommendations of, okay, well, for a person who wants to be a competitive athlete, regardless of their age, what are some books you recommend? Um, so I found a few and some of course from you, but mm. most recently I ordered a book called 10 Minute Toughness. And I believe the author's name is Jason Selkirk. And what that book wants to focus on, at least from kind of reading, just reviews on the internet, is these drills or practices, things you can do within 10 minutes of your day to enhance your mental thinking, make you mentally stronger, make you sure, maybe a little more perseverant. And having that in a 10 minute practice, something I can do every day seems fascinating to me. Yeah, I like that. What, um, and sorry, that was, sorry, 10 minute toughness. Who was the author? I didn't catch that. I believe it's Jason Selkirk. Okay. I could be wrong because I've been staring at just a lot of different books and authors. I know the feeling. <laughs> also, and you lent me this book, but I ordered another book by uh, Jesse Itzler. I got Living with a Monk or Living with the Monks. Oh, okay. And I'm pretty excited for that one as well. It's a little bit less sporty, I think, but I'm sure it still has its applications. And I was super into that because you gave me his book of when he spent a month with um, David Goggins. And then also, funny enough, I was looking at his TikTok and he was kind of talking about the book and he shared one of the blurbs and one of his experiences and <laughs> it resonated with me again. And I'm like, well, I have to get this book. So yeah, that one. Um, well, and the funny thing about that was, so uh, David Goggins book, Can't Hurt Me was released. Is this like two years ago now? Has it been two years? It's, it's been, I, I, yeah, it's been a while, like deceivingly. Um, but the funny thing about that particular, so Jesse, uh, Jesse Itzler's book, um, what's the actual title? Living with the Seal? Yep, Living with yeah. Seal. Yeah, that's right. The funny thing about that was um, David did not want to be named in that book. And actually in the whole book, you don't know who he is um, until the epilogue or there's a additional chapter that was added yeah so, literally the additional chapter that yeah. got added. right so. yeah and that came out after david's book was released so it was kind of funny so it actually for us reading it for the first time we, we caught it caught it at a good time because then we get the whole picture yeah. um but yeah david goggins uh certainly um that book is it, it's kind of hard to describe um well, at least for me, the, the impact that that book has had on me was pretty, um, you know, very significant, obviously, to say the least. And it's just one of those things that you read that, you know, just when you read other people's stories, like, I, I think we all have a, well, we're all biased in our own worldview, right? I mean, at the end of the day, I'm Marcus, you're Vincent. So as much as we can empathize and try to put ourselves in other people's shoes, you know, ultimately, we're still experiencing the world through our, our own lens, right? 
And it's just very interesting to, to see how things that we think are important or things that we think are a big deal. And then when you read about somebody else's life and you go, holy shit, yeah. kind of puts things in perspective for you. <laughs> yeah, it definitely does. So I know for, for uh, like Goggins book in particular, um, that one has had a pretty big impact on me in that sense. But um, when did you sort of get interested in, I guess we'll just call it sports psychology or, or performance performance books, however you want to describe them. Yeah. Um, when, when did that, like, w- do you recall a, like a particular thing that happened to you that you went, oh, okay, you know, maybe I should look into this or was it just kind of something you stumbled across? Yeah, I do. I do remember. So backtrack a little bit. My first full year of playing rep hockey was, I think it was either first or second year Bantam. Oh, so late. Yeah, I got into it late. And um, what basically happened is I had made like the A2 team, which is the second highest out of whatever your organization. I had made their working group. And I think looking back at it, I could have easily, easily had made that team and had like a permanent spot on it for the year and kind of stayed around that level. But for whatever reason, well, I mean, I know now, but like I would just get just remarkably like scared and in my head and worried about making mistakes. And first year playing competitive hockey and it was completely new to me. Um, I eventually ended up getting kicked down from the team or getting knocked down to a three and it was fine. It was a great experience, but at the same time for a little bit, I was, you know, hesitant and I was a little bit scared to go back there and try and keep up with them. Even though looking back, I fully think I could have. So that was kind of the start of it. And my first book, actually, I, I read my first book on kind of like sports psychology or, or, mental performance a little bit after um it was called hockey tough which i think is a fantastic book it really talked a lot about visualization Mm. which i think is huge for people in general but athletes of course and then it kind of just kept going from there and then skip forward a few years um i played one year of juvie because i was in vancouver it was this was right after i'd gotten back from montreal right and it was an option. It was super cheap, actually. So, and it was a lot of fun. And then after I'd finished juvie and gone on to beer league, I was like, well, I like playing competitive sports. I don't really have the opportunity for it anymore, but why don't I just kind of see how I can be competitive with hockey or with working out or with, you know, setting these personal goals for myself. And so that's kind of how I started to dive more into, yeah, sports psychology is ddp i can thank him for this um his book positively unstoppable i'll plug that one because that's an excellent read since we're throwing books out there um many many times in his book he says you know what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail and i think that that attitude shift um for you know guys like us who our biggest thing was being afraid to fail well what would you know mr vincent plano what would you do if you couldn't fail you know I would do literally everything. Right. <laughs> I would do everything. There's right. the answer. Like, yeah. So, you know, here's the thing. What's stopping you from doing that? Yeah. 
I think it's interesting that you talk about pushing up your standards, not just keeping to them. Because I think a lot of people realize, you know, whatever facet of life you're looking at, sports, work, friends, hold yourself accountable. So it's one thing to be like, sure, I will meet all of these standards. But it's actually, I don't think I think about this a lot about like actually pushing up that standard, whether it's just doubling your rep number or doing one Mm -hmm. more or whatever it is, or being early to something. So that's actually a pretty interesting thing you just brought up. And the, now, so I guess actually now that I think about it, so I think my first exposure into this um, field of literature, if you want to call it that, um, was probably Jocko now that I think about it, his book. So he's got like seven or eight books out, all of which I would highly recommend. I've read them all. Um, but Extreme Ownership in particular is the first one. That's kind of like the, the general framework for his uh, leadership um, qualities. Or Interesting. Yeah, so, so that was very interesting. And, and um, well, Jocko is, uh, so if anyone saw American Sniper with Bradley Cooper, I don't know if, if you saw that one. Um, yeah, very, very, I mean, I think it won a couple Oscars. Clint Eastwood directed it, but the actual story of uh, this Navy SEAL uh, platoon, I guess, I'm not sure. I'm, not, I'm a civilian, so I know I mess up some of the military lingo, but basically the, the group of SEALs that went into Ramadi was considered the most dangerous military operations um, in American history in the last like 50 years or something. So it's a pretty big deal, but Jocko was the leader of that, um, leader of those operations. So he got a lot of experience dealing with um, real, real significant, um, you know, Taliban presence and all that. And um, so I think that's where that all comes from. And, And I think what's crazy and what's really interesting is how the because I read a lot of military literature now. Like I read a ton of military um, and, and a lot of free stuff. So for you, I'd actually say, um, I can't remember the full name, but the uh, abbreviation is the MCDP. Okay. And yeah, that's down. the something with the Marine Corps. I, I know I, I kind of, I mess all these up, but um, it's free. You can find, you just Google it, M- MCDP7. Um okay. Hopefully I'm getting that right, but you, you kind of figure that out. You'll, you'll figure it out pretty quick. Um, but it's basically, it's just, a, it's, it's basically just the, the leadership and strategy tactics for the Marine Corps, um, which Jocko went through on uh, one of his podcasts actually, and it was brilliant. Um, but I think that's where that all started was, was being exposed to that. And the biggest takeaway from that was the realization that all of my success, all of my failure is independent of everybody else. I am in charge. I am responsible for everything. Everything that I do, say, react. Whenever you're looking at a scenario, whether it's a good or bad one, I think no matter how bleak or narrow it might look, you always maintain some element of control. Now, it may not be the perfect. It's rarely, it's never the perfect scenario. It's never going to be that you can push something and you fixed it. But even if it's just 1%, like you can control the situation or you can affect it to even the tiniest extent. But you still, you, you still got to take that 1%. You know what I mean? 
Well, and, and the cumulative effect, and, and that was my problem too, was that if I ever was in a situation, whether it was, you know, maybe problems with, with a girlfriend or uh, incoming deadlines that are getting tight, like whatever this, I mean, there's a very wide variety of situations, but yeah. I think what I would always do would be, I got to drastically change the situation right now overnight. And that's just not, that's just the wrong attitude to have. You, you, yeah. It's just, cause then you're going to, you're just setting yourself up for failure, but I can make my situation 1% better. I can do that. I can for sure do that. Yep. Well, 1% today, 1% tomorrow, 1% today, you know, and you just keep going. And before you know it, well, if you keep doing that for a month, well, you just made your situation 30% better. That is huge. That's yep. a game changer. And so I think that's the, the, the real shift in perspective. I think that's where it has to come from. Mm -hmm. But I think so. I mean, and even for you, I mean, I'm sure there's been situations where you can look back and you go, man, like if I just kind of chipped away, you know, the, and the confidence that you get, you know, cause confidence and competency, you know, it's interesting. So I think, you know, if you can become more competent, you become more confident and yep. that's, that is lethal. That is a phenomenal combination to have. And so, you know, you can really start changing. You can really turn your life around if, if you uh, kind of have that that type of perspective on that. Yeah. I don't, it, and you, you gave me a good example of this the last time we, or one of the last times that we spoke, cause we talked about reading and just being able to like read more, cover more books in a week or a year. And you even talked about, well, okay. You know, if I don't have an hour a day to read, or if that seems like too big of a chunk, well, it's not terribly hard to break that up and be like, all right, well, let's do 15 minutes around the time I wake up 15 minutes in the afternoon, 15 minutes before after dinner and 15 minutes before you go to sleep. Like that's not a crazy amount of time, but and, it adds up and it's going to keep adding up. Mm -hmm. I, uh, related to what you just said. So limitless by Jim quick. Um, that's another huge one. Um, that's, that was a game changer for me as well. And that's where I, I got that figure from. So the average person um, just reading at an average speed, I can't remember the words per minute, but just an average person who reads 15 minutes a day, the average book, that's a book a week. 15 minutes a day is a book a week, just like that. And so I think that paradigm shift of, and I actually, I think the example I used the last time was the, <laughs> the one book that I read was um, The Truth by Neil Strauss. And that's an excellent book. That's a book about relationships. And the beauty of books and, and podcasts and, uh, you know, documentaries too, is mm -hmm. that, so in particular with the truth, uh, that was Neil's, so I guess Neil was in his, I guess he was about 40 at the time or in his 40s, something like that. And this 350 page book or whatever encompasses 40 years of him trying to figure out why he can't stay or why he has trouble dealing with a monogamous relationship. So I read somebody's 40 year, we'll just call it that 40 year yeah. experience in 300 pages. Okay. That's huge. <laughs> That's yeah. a huge shift. So the ability to take that knowledge in and to tailor it to your own use and your own needs, man, critical, so critical. And the amount of information that you pick up, it's, it's astounding. Tremendous. And that applies to everything. And it's also, it's 
it's financially it's a lot cheaper because we talk about all these people about David Goggins or Jesse Itzler and like realistically if you wanted to get whatever a one-on-one lesson with them or a one-hour like mentoring session like that's a pretty tall ask not to say it's impossible but not likely (laughs) read you know read a book and read what they've read and said or just consume some of their content and hear what they have to say yeah and to add to that I think the other thing that you have to look for is what is the best thing that you can do in your current situation and to Mm -hmm. give that an example is so I used to do I used to play or I I do a lot of gaming still but I used to just do a lot of competitive gaming when I was a lot younger and so I was talking to just some other players and one who was especially good. And I asked him, okay, well, how do you, like, what's your take on it? How do you, how are you so good at what you do? And he told me like, even if it's the worst situation possible, like what's your best move? Cause you're all, you always need to take that. Right. Like you're never going to throw it. You're just making the situation worse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? So what's the next, what is the best series of moves you can take? And you just go from there. So I think that's another thing that's just hugely important. Yeah. Well, and, you know, the thing is, is like, you know, like, we're, you know, I'm, I'm sure like, you know, we've been talking for a little while now. So, you know, I feel like for people who, who are still listening, um, hopefully, <laughs> you know, for people listening, it's like, yeah, yeah, that, that's easy for you guys to like talk about this shit, but like, when you're in it, how do you, how do you deal with that? Cause you're in it, you know, how, how do you step back? And, um, thankfully there's literature on that. <laughs> so, I mean, for me, that comes from, uh, Jocko's books when it, when it comes to just dealing with that type of stuff. But I think you also just have to embrace the suck, you know, like, I think you just also have to just be like, yo, quit trying to force a situation to be different than it is. Like you said, the situation is the situation. So what's yeah. your best move? That's yeah. it. Like, I think like, just like quit trying to, to bend the world to your will, find a way to play the game, you know, don't, tr- you know, play the game and play the game. Well, but that's the point is like, you're in it. So just make the best choice, you know, and that's it. And those incremental changes, you know, build and build and build. And, you know, then that's when you're going to start seeing some crazy shit. That's when you're going to see some results. To sum it up, like to sum up this entire episode, we're competitive and we like reading books. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. That's so true. Well, and you know, and when it comes to, so, okay. So like when I mentioned the, the Air Jordans earlier, so that comes from, so you know how like Netflix, when they, like, I remember I saw one stat last year that said like somebody watched the B movie, like 360, three or four times last year which I think is hilarious. I love the commitment to it. Oh, so it's like somebody watched it every single year. So I I always joke, like if Netflix releases any information on how many times one person watched the last dance, that was me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, dude, I watch it. It's 10 hours. It's 10 episodes. I've watched it front to back pretty much every week since it came out you know, religious, religiously. And the the biggest thing with that was, so when I actually didn't even know, like, I think we joked about this actually the last time too. 
I didn't even know prior to watching that, the, the, the documentary, I didn't even know Dennis Rodman was a basketball player. Yeah. I, didn't I had no idea. <laughs> I just thought he was that guy who hung out with Kim Jong-un. I had no idea who this guy was. I had zero basketball knowledge going into the last dance. Yeah. I could name a few teams. I knew who Jordan was, obviously. I could tell you whatever, one or two players. Like, I only started watching, A, because it was about Michael Jordan. It was quarantine. And because I had started playing NBA on, like, my PlayStation. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. There was zero introduction to basketball beforehand. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, you know, I'm similar to that. Like I, I didn't even, you know, I didn't even know who, like, I, I kind of remember people saying like, Oh, Scotty Pippen. I'm like, Oh, I've heard that name before. Like nothing. I had, I had no knowledge about anything, um, you know, Michael Jordan or or basketball related as my microphone falls down. Um, and, and I don't know, I think the the short version of, of this story is, you know, the reason that I, I, and I take notes on it. So like I watch it and I have a, a notebook that I, record and I, I put my thoughts down you know relating to certain things that happen and the biggest takeaway and the reason that I continue to watch it over and over and over again is because what blew my mind was that Michael Jordan I'm watching I'm watching a Netflix documentary that came out 20 years roughly speaking after mm-hmm. he won his last championship with the Bulls so you know as, as far as timelines go you know, I'm, I'm watching history. That's basically what it's history. You're, you're watching history. And what blew my mind and what really resonated with me deeply was that this guy, all he wanted to do was win. He just wanted to be the best. He just wanted to be the best that he could be. And he believed that he could be the best to ever do it. And, and he, I think, effectively proved that. I mean, he's the most winning. I mean, the dude's just a phenom. The, the, what, yeah. he, what he accomplished was just so surreal and the pressure and the mindset that he had to achieve at the highest level year after year after year was just so tremendous. And, and, and the takeaway from that was I'm watching this 20 years later and it's getting me fired up. I think just in general, I think just the way that we should, you know, the, the, the ideal that we should set for ourselves is to achieve the best, the, the best that we possibly can. And when you get there, keep going. Don't stop. Keep going. And to think, like if I was to meet Michael Jordan today and I was to say, hey man, like, you know, you basically changed my life. Like the, the trajectory that I, I mean, I was going on a good one, but this just really put some fuel in the tank for me you know, if I was to go up to him and say, Hey man, like you really inspired me with, you know, your work ethic and your mindset is tremendous. And that's, what's helping me achieve what I want to achieve. I don't think there's any greater sense of accomplishment. Like, I don't think there's anything that would like, if somebody came up to me and said, Hey, like, because of you, I'm, I'm achieving, you know, X. Mm -hmm. And it's like, man, like, Wow. And so, you know, that just goes to show like, you know, the effect that you can have on people and indirectly, this guy doesn't know me. I don't know him. I was born years after he won, you know, it's just ridiculous when you step back and you go, what would my life look like if Michael Jordan didn't do what he did? Like that would actually have an effect on my life. I've never met the guy. 
you know, so I think just that that is a really humbling and, and that's like, a, that's just a, a, like, you're just kind of speechless moment. Like it, it's just, it hits you so hard. And so for me, you know, the fact that, you know, I could be the guys that I look up to, you know, I could be in the category of the people who affected me in that way, man, what a standard, what a standard. And, and I think when you find that standard, I believe fully that you have a moral obligation to achieve and to pursue that level of, of greatness. You have a moral obligation. That's a high standard. That is a high standard, but I fully believe it. I really believe it. But you know, anyway, I'll, I'll throw that over to you. So, well, one of my favorite, I have actually two, two things I want to tack on. And so personally, my favorite part about the last dance was how trying to think of the best way to word this but just how petty he was about competition (laughs) i hate it when a person or whatever a friend or whoever it is when they tell me not to get so competitive over something i think that's the dumbest thing ever like why wouldn't i want to be competitive over it like it would be boring if it wasn't you know so looking back to the documentary like the fact that he was a ridiculous gambler because he wanted to be competitive at something off of basketball or just some of the dumb bets he would made or the fact that he would get triggered so deeply by something that somebody else said, even if it was a joke, like, obviously I'm, I'm not Jordan wish I was, but I did find it relatable. So yeah, that to me was huge. Well, um, and even in um, you'll remember from uh, living with the seal, one of the early chapters, um, it's a real short, I think it was like two or three pages. And the, the whole chapter was the two greatest motivators are fear, or sorry, the two greatest uh, motivators are anger and fear in that order. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So as you were pointing that out to MJ, you know, that's what, the, but that's what that was. That was that, that little bit of rage, that little bit of fire just to keep things burning. Game changer, man game changer yeah so so this is something i wanted to ask you as well because we talk you, clearly you're going through what's a super heavy training regimen like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so as a background he sent me his actual workout plan and it's it's pretty heavy like you so what yeah so what what did you think of it because i i sent it to you a little while ago and and we we didn't talk about it but what did you think of it so i only took like a glance at it i saw maybe like the first or second row And I think one of my first thoughts was like, oh, nice. You can do this without like weights or like you can do without too much equipment, which is great, especially with the pandemic. My second thought was just looking at the reps because it's basically just like push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups, chin-ups, all within a 100 to 300 rep range. And I'm like, oh shit, he's insane. (laughs) Like it's every two days. It's like every (laughs) two days. And I'm like, oh, there's like multiple of these. So I mean, that's what I thought, but at the same time, I mean, I'm dumb enough to try it with push-ups, so here we are. But yeah, what I wanted to ask is, let's say, for example, you've got a workout that's do 300 push-ups within whatever. So that's 30 minutes. Workout. Yeah, and then you'll tack on 100 sit-ups or 100 pull-ups, etc. Where do you find a balance, or do you even have one? of push, 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 and get mentally stronger 
as but then you have to contrast this with let's not get injured because I think that's something I kind of I definitely like teetered back and forth within being a little bit too dumb with how I can push myself in that even before I strained my MCL like throughout the summer there was that period where nobody was skating people weren't really working out so when you go back to it all your body's not fully ready for it right so you rent there's a higher risk of injury and I ended up doing some I pulled parts of my back I had a super tight hamstring etc I had to go to the physio a bunch of times to look at my QL things like that so for you where's that balance or does that even exist yeah. So, I mean, um, I take a page out of David Goggins book, which is, uh, how many rest day, uh, like how important is recovery to you? And he goes, what the fuck's that? <laughs> so, um, that's kind of my mentality. Um, okay. So perfect example. So I got a thumb injury right now. I'm hoping that it's just a, a it's probably just a bad sprain. I feel like that's what it is. They did x-ray it and there were no obvious uh, fractures. So that's good. Um, hands make me nervous though, because there's lots of little bones and bullshit in yes. there. Same with feet, right? For feet sure. are a problem too, because so many little yeah. stupid things in there to, to injure. Um, so let's just go with best case scenario. Let's just say I got a sprain, right? Um, number one rule, listen to your body. Um, so there's a difference between pain and discomfort. Let's go with the vast majority of times. The difference is between um, taking a rest day. You don't need a rest day. You just want a rest day, but you don't need it. And I, I think that's the biggest thing. And the other thing I started doing was I started punishing myself with reps. So in my head, if I go, um, uh, you know, I'm kind of tired today, so I'm only going to do 100. Okay, just the fact that I said that, guess what? You just bought yourself an extra 25. Yeah. Like, sucks to be you. And, you know, you just hold yourself to it. And I think just the self-discipline aspect is, is very difficult for me because that's my biggest um, vice, I think, is the self-discipline. So that's the thing that I'm really, really trying to hammer out. Mm -hmm. um, but like with the training, like I didn't pick, I just picked up a weight for the first time uh, since May. Yeah. I didn't pick up a weight. My workout routines, which is gonna sound tough um, because it's boring as shit, literally i'm not joking man since june pull-ups chin-ups push-ups sit-ups that's it yeah and and then yoga so and and by yoga i'm saying ddp yoga which is different than regular namaste let's all stretch and have a good time yeah fuck that we're getting after it so the ddp yoga is great because it combines recovery with stretching and actual like calisthenics so you're actually getting stronger while stretching and, you know, preventing, you know, keeping your joints healthy, preventing yeah. you from getting hurt. Not like you and I weren't friends, but I mean, I would probably classify us as more like, you know, we're like acquaintances, you know, hockey buddies, you know, but since I've been doing this, I mean, you've been very interested in, kind of figuring out like, Hey, like, what are you up to? Like, what are you doing? And, and, and then vice versa, then that's kind of allowed me to get to know you a little more than to have you on the podcast is a huge, I mean, that's a huge deal for me to, to have people on here who I respect people who I find are, who I think are interesting. And, you know, so there's plenty, like, 
you know, you want to look at the downside, but there's tenfold positive side. So again, it's just attitude. It's just, are you going to bitch and moan about, you know, the things that you've lost? Are you going to, are you going to be grateful for the things that you've had, uh, things that you've gained? And, um, you know, certainly that's where I would rather be, would be, you know, hanging out with you, talking shit, you know, and just having a good time. And we were joking about this the last time that we recorded is that I hated you when I first met you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. So, yeah, so for, yeah, because, yeah, explain, explain that. So, <laughs> we, we play on the same beer league hockey team, D-Generation X. Hell yeah. And this would have been, when did, like, 2016, maybe 2017, like, sometime around that. And so it was like, it was summer. And I guess you would have come right back from school yeah. or some kind of trip or whatever you were doing. Mm-hmm. And you started, you basically joined the team out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> initially, I just really didn't like you because you were a really strong skater. And at the time, I definitely <laughs> felt like I was one of the stronger skaters on the team. So I'm like, I hate this guy. Like, honestly, he's such an asshole. Like, I don't like his face. Like, I was like picking up all of these, like, just tiny reasons i mean i'm glad you're on my team but at the same time (laughs) you're sounding like michael jordan now you're like for me it was personal (laughs) i dude i literally just didn't like that you were a good skater like i i honestly just wished you were a little bit slower same with omar shout out him like yeah hated both you guys love you guys now though but hey you know hey i'm just i'm just charming man i got you (laughs) i I got you around i pulled you onto my side of the fence exactly what it is yeah well, and, and it's funny, right? And I, I think that's why, um, well, and that was really funny because I, I obviously didn't know that until you told me the, the last time and I laughed just as hard the, the first time you told me <laughs> that. Um, but, you know, it's funny, right? It's just funny to think how, you know, again, like what we were talking about, like with you in the, in the Great Gatsby, when you heard that, it, it's funny how things that you see and hear at a particular time, how that affects you. But now, right, yeah. like you probably hate me a little bit still and i'm kind of happy about that at least i hope so you know what i mean <laughs> it's, in a, it's in a good way it's in like in a competitive way yeah exactly all about the competition yeah and, and that's just it right so yeah you know it, it's just kind of funny how you know and again i think the the emphasis on just kind of living for you know making the most of today and you know trying to do the best that you can today with what you got so that tomorrow is a little bit better. You know, I think if you do that with relationships, you do that with yourself, you know, the, the progress that you'll make is, is, you know, you can't compare it. Astronomical, you know, it, it'll add up. So, I mean, well, I just want to ask you a couple more things and we'll, we'll wrap it up. But um, yeah. so obviously, like I mentioned earlier, like I'm a big fan of your, of your writing. I, I think you're very good at it. Um, <laughs> I mean, like I said, the fact that I actually looked at who wrote the article, that's <laughs> rare for me to do. So um, just really funny. That's how things kind of worked out there. Um, I don't know if you can answer this question, um, but I'll put it to you. Um, do you have any uh, things coming up uh, that you can talk about as far as um, obviously the COVID stuff, like that's a, you know, that's, that's a news thing. So that that'll keep changing, but any articles or any projects that you are working on that you can discuss? I think so. Yeah. Um, to put it generally, or I guess yes. to kind of step into it. I don't want you to get in trouble. So keep it general. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to start, I've been super interested in 
kind of retail and business development around Vancouver. So I, I love whenever, you know, a huge retailer sets up a flagship store or for example, I did a lot of coverage on Footwalker. They opened this, they call them power stores. It's basically a big concept store and it was the first ever in Canada. They had had a few in select, like they had a few in select locations, in the United States, but Vancouver got the first one in Canada, second on the West Coast. So that was a really big story for me to chase. I'm really into that kind of thing. So I spent a lot of time working on that. Um, one of the things that I've been really, really interested in, I haven't had the time to do it because unfortunately the news cycle has just been super busy. Like yeah. we had it's been the pandemic since last March, April, whatever. But also you got to think that in BC, there's been a provincial election. Uh, there was also the US election. But one thing I really want to look at is it, we're looking at the COVID-19 pandemic. And at this point, it's affected how kids between the ages of how kids in minor hockey are playing. And now it's at the point where, I don't know if you've heard, but they've canceled adult hockey. Yeah. Or adults basically can't play. But that also affects players in the BCHL. In that the BCHL, which if you don't know, it's, I would say it's the biggest junior league in BC, one of the biggest in Canada, and a pretty strong route to playing college or pro hockey. It's heavily affected and shut down. So the big thing I want to look at is interviewing different coaches and people who run programs like prep schools and academies, et cetera. And how do, how do they think prospects and hockey players of whatever age gap, how are they going to be affected going into the next NHL draft or the NHL draft two to five years down from the road? To me, that's, it's absolutely fascinating. It's unfortunate that it's come out of COVID and this is a bit of a lighter issue, obviously, we got to worry about the vaccine and helping people out. But at the same time, this is going to be something that affects hockey and the landscape of the game five to 10 years down the road. So that's one of the biggest things that I'm looking at. I've interviewed a few people on it so far. I think obviously being a hockey player and being a, a very good writer, um, I think you'll do an excellent job at, at Thank you. talking about that and writing about that. And I'm really looking forward to reading that too. So to close it out, um, where can people find you? So uh, I guess Daily Hive, you're, you're continuing to write stuff for them? Yes. So the majority of my writing can be found on dailyhive.com. I write for mostly Vancouver. So um, it basically, it auto-locates you to your city, but you can also just pick out Vancouver. Um, but I also do a lot of writing for sneaker publications, if that's what you're into. Uh, so my main one being that I write for a sneaker group called Soul Savvy. And it's a lot of different stories just about the history of sneakers. Um, I guess to give an example, I did a bit of a recap on The Last Dance. I wrote about, I wrote about a lot of the shoes that Jordan wore. I wrote about um, the ones that he wore through, well, there are a bunch of different Jordans, but I, I wrote on uh, some of the ones that he wore during the early 90s and then how they've just kind of kept their popularity over time, how they've changed, what's good or bad about them. So if you're a sneakerhead, I hopefully it appeals to you. Thanks so much for being here, man. And it was yeah, a great time. Yeah.